Hello, this is Philip Schoenfeld, Editor-in-Chief of Evidence-Based Gastroenterology. And today I'm with Dr. Ravi Badravilu, who is Assistant Professor of Medicine in the Division of Gastroenterology at the University of Pittsburgh. We'll be discussing a recent American Journal of Gastroenterology article entitled Incidence of Acute Myeloid Leukemia and Myelodysplastic Syndrome in Patients with Inflammatory Bowel Disease and the Impact of Thiopurines on Their Risk. Ravi, welcome to the podcast. And why don't you just tell us a little bit about why this is an important topic? First off, thanks for having me here, Phil. It's a real privilege to talk about this paper by Dr. Khan and Dr. Yuxiao Yang. As we know, thiopurines have been a mainstay in treatment for IBD for decades. And even though there are newer medications, they continue to have an important role for treatment, especially as an adjunctive medication to reduce antibody formation against anti-TNF agents. But as we're warned about, they have lots of potential side effects, including pancreatitis, non-melanoma skin cancer, lymphoma, and also myelosuppression. And because of the association with myelosuppression, the authors sought to determine whether there were potential long-term impacts, particularly those that could lead to the development of acute myeloid leukemia, AML, or myelodysplastic syndrome, MDS. Yeah, my impression is that we still need the thiopurines, especially as combination therapy, despite all the advances we've made in IBD therapy. But we also need to properly educate patients and take into account those risks when we decide to use them. And my impression is there really hasn't been any good research about the risk of AML and myelodysplastic syndrome in these patients. So this seems like a great study to assess that. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about how the authors investigated this issue? They designed a retrospective cohort study from patients with IBD to answer the question. And these authors have previously developed a cohort of patients from the Veterans Health Administration who have IBD. And that cohort has previously been shown to be really very high quality with high positive predictive values for identifying people with IBD. And by high positive predictive value, I mean that when it, you had go back and look into the charts of these thought to have IBD in the cohort, a whole lot of them, uh, more than 95% of them are found to in fact actually have IBD. And so this is a very valid data set. And so what they did is they took those patients with IBD and identified those who had received a thiopurine, namely azathioprine or the, its active metabolite 6-mercaptopurine. And so they found all the people who had gotten one of those thiopurines during their care with the VA. They then reviewed the patient records to determine whether those patients later developed AML or MDS. And they did the same for patients who didn't receive thiopurines. And for anyone who got a diagnosis of AML or MDS, they manually reviewed those charts to confirm that that AML-MDS diagnosis did indeed occur after the diagnosis of IBD. And then statistically, they calculated the incidence rate of developing AML or MDS, and then they stratified that by personal or by history of thiopurine use. And they put that in four categories, people who never used thiopurines, people who are past users of thiopurines, and then people who are current users. The current users were split into two groups, those who had less than two years of cumulative use of thiopurines and those who had two or more years of cumulative use. So 
You know, my understanding then is this was a particularly good study because the investigators have developed their data set of U.S. veterans. And again, as you said, they've proven that they are capturing patients with true inflammatory bowel disease. And given the way that veterans get their health care within the, the VA system, they can say for sure whether or not they got thyropurines in the duration of use. And my impression also is that they controlled for different confounders in order to minimize the impact of other factors that might have affected whether or not somebody got AML or myelodysplastic syndrome. Can you comment on that for a minute about how they tried to control for confounding factors? Because that's real important in this kind of study. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as you know, since you're a VA investigator and I'm new to the VA myself, this is really one of the great strengths of this data that come from the Veterans Health Administration. Veterans who are seen in the VA system tend to receive most or a lot of their care through that system and less of it from outside sources. So the health care is captured. And so that allows for the ability to identify all prescriptions, like you mentioned, and then also to identify other potential things that could confound the relationship between the thiopurine use and the IBD. And so some of those things that Dr. Khan and colleagues had adjusted for were things that could be related to subsequent development of AML, like history of radiation, or also history of exposure to certain military exposures that could also predispose someone to develop AML, MDS in the future. And then also, like many other studies, adjustment for other medical comorbidities, such as liver disease, um, heart disease, diabetes. And these are certainly expert investigators who know how to conduct that kind of analysis And I know they used the Cox proportional hazard ratio to quantify the increased risk of AML or MDS with thyropurine exposure. And so what did the results actually show? What did the authors conclude? Yeah. So at the time they did this study, the cohort had over 55,000 patients who had IBD. Of those 55,000, they identified that 107 patients had developed AML slash MDS. And so when you calculate this, you put it in a rate. That means that for every 100,000 person years of patients with IBD in the cohort, 19 patients developed AML MDS. And notably, this is higher than the background rate, the U.S. population. When they stratified that instance rate by thiopurine use, they found that both current users, regardless of their cumulative years of uh, thiopurine use, had higher instance rates of about 30 per 100,000 person years. And so they also went in and looked to see if of those people who had developed AML MDS, did any of them have prior leukopenia prior to the AML MDS diagnosis? Because that was part of their biologic rationale for completing the study. And they found that all of the people who developed AML or MDS and were exposed to thiopurines did in fact have leukopenia in the two years prior to their AML MDS diagnosis. So potentially the leukopenia was a warning sign of a potential side effect. You know, I really liked the way that the authors presented their results because the bottom line, I think, I think is very clear, especially in the summary that you wrote for evidence-based GI, which is that among IVD patients, 
there's about a two to threefold increased risk for developing AML or myelodysplastic syndrome, but also recognizing that since the baseline risk is so low, they calculated that you need about another 7,500 patient years of thiopurine use to see one additional case of AML or myelodysplastic syndrome. So it's a real risk, but it's still a very small risk generally. Although, as you said, among the elderly patients and the patients who have been exposed to radiation in the past, they may have a higher baseline risk. You know, are there any major limitations in terms of study design that make you cautious about applying this to your patient care? So I uh, just want to put in one edit point here. The number needed to harm was my calculation, uh, just to make sure that we don't misattribute it to the authors if they don't agree with it. Okay. Thank you for correcting me about that. And that, to me, then, is a very helpful thing, which I'm really glad that you did. Yeah, you know, this is a really helpful study, but like all observational studies and all studies in general, we have to think about the caveats and determine whether this really applies to our patients. We talked in detail about the advantages of using the Veterans Health Administration data earlier, but one common limitation of that data set is that whether it generalizes to the general population of patients who are cared in the private healthcare system in the U.S., which is the majority of patients. You know, currently veterans tend to be older and higher percentage male than the general population. For this study, there was actually a study design benefit because AML and MDS have higher incidence in older people. So non-VA gastroenterologists are trying to apply this data to their patients. It's important to realize that the incidence rate of AML and MDS in their populations is likely much lower. And therefore, the absolute risk of thiopurine use is probably lower as well in their populations. The other thing to consider, like you were saying, is that the background rate of developing AML-MDS is very low. So while there isn't relative hazard of developing AML-MDS for people who are using thiopurines, the absolute value is low. It's like you said, if for a person who has a panel of patients, they would need to get 7,500 person years of thiopurine treatment before another AML-MDS diagnosis is made on average. So in your own practice, what are you doing? And I should add, you wrote this commentary with David Binion, who's a very well-known IBD specialist at University of Pittsburgh. So between you and and Dr. Binion, how are you applying this data to your patient care? This is really a thought-provoking study. And in conjunction with the previously known risks of thiopurines, particularly lymphoma, pancreatitis, um, and then non-melanoma skin cancer, it makes us be really aware of having those risk-benefit discussions with our patients. And that means that we have to really weigh the benefits of the thiopurine versus the risk of thiopurine, but also the benefits of controlling disease activity versus the risks of having uncontrolled IBD activity. And so, for example, if we were to have a patient who we have to choose between uncontrolled IBD disease activity or a combination infliximab and azathioprine, we'd probably be pushing that patient towards treatment because the risks of having uncontrolled IBD, such as uh, fistulas or intra-abdominal abscesses, stricture development in that patient, if they were to have Crohn's disease, is probably worse than the small absolute risk of developing AML and DS. 
But if the patient is older and has a higher baseline risk of AML, MDS, or particularly lymphoma, we would need to thoroughly discuss options. In the past few years, we have several new maintenance treatment options uh, and more are in the pipeline. And so this is going to necessitate reevaluation of the role of thiopurines for IBD based on effectiveness, safety profile, and costs um, for our community as a whole. That's kind of the way I read it as well, that this is one more piece of information to educate patients about when we're using thiopurines, but that I'm probably still going to use thiopurines in combination therapy in my patients as appropriate. Having said that, as we get better therapies, this will be one more reason to avoid using thiopurines in the future if we can, as we get newer and better therapies, along with the lymphoma, pancreatitis risk, et cetera, that are associated with them. Any final thoughts before we close? You know, uh, in addition to being a clinical gastroenterologist, I also spend a lot of time doing research training. And I, I thought this was a really wonderful paper to share with our colleagues, especially those who are in training, as, as it really demonstrates a lot of exciting concepts in both gastroenterology and the practice of epidemiology. Well, I certainly agree. This would be a good one for Journal Club for a GI fellow to help illustrate a well-designed cohort study and the appropriate use of, say, Cox proportional hazards ratio. Well, with that, thanks very much for joining me in this podcast, Robbie, and we will speak again soon. All right. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Phil.